This week on Geek Explained, with The Suicide Squad releasing in theaters around the world and on HBO Max this week, we're diving into the comics you should read for more Task Force X goodness. So join me for another edition of the Comics Catch-Up on The Suicide Squad. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is all about the Suicide Squad. Uh, if you were unaware, this week and pretty much since last week, uh, The Suicide Squad, the newest DC film directed by James Gunn and starring a whole buttload of people, is releasing all over the world in theaters and on HBO Max as of this recording. And so this week we're doing another edition of the Comics Catch-Up, where I talk about comics that you should check out if you want to learn more about The Suicide Squad. So I've got five comics to talk about this week, and all of them are amazing. We also have, of course, this week's comics countdown where i talk about all the comics that i think you should be picking up this week but before we get into all of that let's check in with this week's news All right, guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. No comics or miscellaneous news this week, so we're going to dive right into two pieces of film news that I think are worth talking about. First off, Scarlett Johansson, the star of the latest MCU film Black Widow, is suing Disney over the release of said Black Widow film. Uh, the lawsuit, which basically uh, has been dominating the news for the last week, is saying that essentially Disney broke its contract and breached its contract with Scarlett Johansson over the release of Black Widow, since usual blockbusters, you know, they go out of their way to make sure that the film is in theaters for 90 days before being available for home release. But with everything going on, Disney decided to do a simultaneous release in both theaters and on Disney uh, on Disney Plus with the premiere access thing. And the whole lot, I'm not going to get into like the legal jargon and all that, but basically... Uh, I wanted to say Natasha. Uh, Scarlett is alleging that in her lawsuit, due to the release of Black Widow on Disney Plus, it hurt the profit margins for the actual uh, for the film. And Scarlett's got a point here. You know, her contract, along with I'm sure a lot of uh, actors who appear in these things, is uh, her compensation for appearing and performing in these movies is largely based on the box office performance. So when you split a release between like what could be in box office and what could be at home, I mean, I know for sure I didn't go out to see this film. I, I paid the money. I watched it on Disney plus. Um, but it does hurt, you know, the profit for this when it comes to box office. And I get that like, hey, you know, there is a pandemic going on, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into it. But at the same time, I mean, just pay the woman her money. Like Disney is not hurting for profits right now. And I'm sure that there are going to be a lot of similar lawsuits just like this with uh, production companies and studios going towards that streaming model. It's, it's unfortunate, but I mean, I'm not surprised by it. It sucks that, you know, people are getting cheated out of their money. So my whole take on it, pay whatever you need to, they deserve it. Artists deserve it. Just let them have their money. So th that's that's my view on it. But um, there's no uh, resolution so far as of this recording. So I guess I'll I'll keep you up to date on what, <laughs> what I find out as uh, as the information comes out. The other piece of uh, film news I think is more exciting, maybe happier. I don't know. Uh, some casting rumors have been going around this past week. First off, for uh, 
another MCU film, we have the rumor going on that Mabel Cadena has been cast as Namora, who's the cousin of Namor, the King of Atlantis, for Black Panther 2 or Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Uh, this is exciting. I'm not super familiar with the actress, but I do like that we are going uh, a little more uh, racially diverse for these <laughs> for these Atlantean characters. It, it's, it's cool. I've always wanted to have an Asian Namor, so I think that's an awesome opportunity, and I am very excited to see us explore more about Atlantis, potentially, if the rumor is uh, is in fact true. And we also got the rumor, though I guess it's more of like a, a report right now, that uh, Sholo Mariduena, or, or Mariduena, I think, uh, sorry, um, who is in Cobra Kai, is uh, in negotiations right now to play Jaime Reyes in Blue Beetle for HBO Max. I believe it's a film, not a series. It's alongside Batgirl as like the HBO Max exclusive films. But this is cool. I, I like that we're getting more... Um, I don't want to say like second string, but like more uh, lesser known characters getting the spotlight, especially on something with as many eyes on it as HBO Max. And uh, I'm sure if you watch Cobra Kai, you know his uh, his merits. So I'm excited for this actor. I'm excited for this character, and I'm excited to see where they go with uh, with these castings. I I am excited. I know there's a lot of drama right now, especially with that that first uh, film news piece going on a lot of drama around superhero films and a lot of like you know superhero fatigue going on as well but i'm still excited about superhero films sue me um it's it's very exciting whenever i get to talk about or whenever i learn about casting announcements because i like to i mean th this is all the kind of stuff that as a kid i dreamed about is like you know oh the hottest hollywood news is going to be about superhero films like so i I like to be excited about those things, but that does it for film news. We're going to hop on over to TV news. Uh, first off, we got the, I guess, announcement, trailer reveal, or poster reveal, uh, screen capture, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Amazon's Lord of the Rings series that they've been working on for, I feel like, forever. It's been a while, right, since they started working on that. Uh, they announced that production has wrapped and that the series will be premiering on Amazon Prime on September. September 2nd, and that every week following there will be a new release, so they are going with the weekly release, which I think worked for them with shows like Invincible and The Boys Season 2. Uh, I'm excited. I... I will say uh, I enjoyed the movies. They weren't, you know, the most accessible thing, but I am excited to see how they do it with a more long form setup, with a more long form uh, model where they can really give their story time to breathe, uh, how they're going to make it feel different from the films. Because I think that's what a lot of people are looking for is like, if it doesn't feel different from the films, then why did they make it? So I'm hoping that we get the reason behind that. Uh, with the actual release of the show. Uh, in, uh, I would say, more distressing news, uh, we got a piece of concept art for the upcoming Miss Marvel Disney Plus show, and it is not exciting because uh, the art, which does show... Um, to show Kamala Khan in her costume. The costume looks great. I always love the the Converse, the Chucks uh, being used with a costume. Something was real weird in it, and that was this weird, like, purpley, almost crystalline-looking thing going on her arm. And this is apparently due to the fact that, or the rumor is, that this is due to the fact that Marvel is changing up her powers in the Disney Plus show. I don't have any kind of, like, official confirmation of this. All of this is rumors and speculation, though the concept art does lead you know, lend credence to this, uh, this rumor going around that essentially they are not going with her embiggening powers and are essentially going to turn her into a form of Marvel's, basically Marvel's going to do Green Lantern before Green Lantern. Um, her bracelet, which has always been kind of a big part of like, um, uh, appearance-wise on her character and always been a piece of her uniform from the comics all the way to, you know, the Marvel's Avengers game uh, is apparently going to be some kind of mystical artifact that can create constructs. But instead of green, they're going to be, like, purpley lavender color. Um, I don't like this. I know that they are 
or it, at least the rumor is that uh, it's supposed to be to differentiate her from Mr. Fantastic. But one of the one of the properties that you're talking about is already under production and one of them is not. So I don't know what their whole thought on this is. Hopefully it's just a rumor or hopefully it's not her entire power set and she still does have her embiggening powers. But with the idea that they're trying to distance themselves from the incredibly bad, just awfully bad uh in humans stuff that they tried a few years back and them you know maybe not wanting kamala to be an inhuman i don't know all i all i know is again that it's rumors and speculation the concept are you know leads us to believe that that might be the case but fingers crossed that it's not and that it's just something else on top of her beginning powers and then finally we got some more exciting news uh peacemaker or as I'm really, really genuinely hoping the show is called, oh fuck, it's Peacemaker, um, has announced that it is going to be premiering. We finally got a premiere date for the show. It's going to be premiering on January 16th of 2022, which feels so far away, but uh, it's it's going to be worth it, I think. Uh, the show is going to debut its first three episodes on that January 16th date with the rest of the episodes coming weekly after that. Uh, this is exciting. I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how they do this character, especially since as of this recording I haven't seen how the character is treated in the film I haven't watched Suicide Squad yet I'm very excited to but um, I'm excited to see what they do with this character and what the show is going to look like I there, we have virtually no information about it so I'm really looking forward to seeing just what this is all going to be about and speaking of Peacemaker and the Suicide Squad that is going to wrap up the new segment for this week and is going to roll us right on into the main event the main course the entree if you will which is our latest comics catch-up on the suicide squad Oh, the Suicide Squad, a team of dastardly ne'er-do-wells and rogues and evildoers that somehow were all corralled together and brought under the heel of Amanda Waller to do what's right for the U.S. government. Sometimes. Uh, this is a team that is near and dear to the hearts of many a comic book fan, and because the latest big screen adaptation of the team with James Gunn's The Suicide Squad is hitting theaters and HBO Max this week, I thought it would be a great time to do another comics catch-up episode. So these are five comics that I think you should check out if you are interested in The Suicide Squad, if you want to read more about the characters getting into the film, or if you watch the film and say I am on a Suicide Squad high and I just want to read more Suicide Squad stories. Um, these are five comics that I think pretty generally uh, put the best foot forward for the Suicide Squad as a team with their stories, the creators involved. And the Suicide Squad for me has always been this kind of fun um this this fun little group that you don't really spend a whole lot of time with, at least for me. Um, I think since the New 52 and with the uh, 2016 film, the stock of the Suicide Squad has gone up a lot, and a lot of people are interested in their stories. But the thing that's always fascinated me about the Suicide Squad is that it is a vehicle for villains to get a redemption story and who doesn't love a good redemption story but that's not always what the comic is about which i think is cool the comic has gone through a lot of changes throughout its nearly 40 50 year uh history and it's fascinating to go back and read some of these older comics and realize just how much the concept of the team has evolved so uh i think that it 
you'll be able to kind of see what I'm talking about when it comes to these comics. But first off, I want to do give an honorable mention to Legends. It was a DC Comics event that ran from November of 1986 to May of 1987. It was written by John Ostrander and Len Wein with art by John Byrne, inks by Carl Kessel, and colors by Tom Zuko. And this was basically just a big DC Comics crossover involving Darkseid and big, ridiculous fourth world nonsense but the event which is fine um was the first appearance of this latest version of the suicide squad of this initial incarnation because we'd had suicide squads in the past in the 40s the 50s uh that weren't really what the what the squad is known for today and what legends did was introduce this you know they basically took a term a team name dusted it off gave it a new concept and we are off to the races with it uh basically in legends issues two and three amanda waller puts together task force x under the uh leadership of the u.s government and they go and they blow up a fourth world uh creation creature called brimstone and from there you got to see this you got to get this little glimpse of this black ops squad that uh might you know, might do some more stuff in the future. Who knows? But it's a great little introduction to the teams, a great little introduction to the concept, and paved the way for the rest of the stories and the comics that you're going to hear on this list. But without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into it. Uh, the first one I've got here for you is, of course, Suicide Squad Trial by Fire from 1987. This, uh, this includes Suicide Squad number 1 through 8, as well as Secret Origins number 14. It was written by John Ostrander with art by Luke McDonnell, and it was the run that started it all. From the first appearance in Legends, John Ostrander took the concept and just ran with it, ran wild, and this is where the Suicide Squad got its start as this comic that was not exactly what it is you know when it comes to the concept today but with each of these i'm going to kind of run through the uh the roster or at least the main roster uh through each of these books because i think it's telling on how the concept has been treated and how the comic has treated the concept throughout the history of it so the initial initial run which i would recommend the entire run but right now we're just focusing on that first volume uh the team com is comprised of Rick Flag, Bronze Tiger, Enchantress, Deadshot, and my boy Captain Boomerang, Digger Harkness, the star of the Suicide Squad. You can't tell me anything otherwise. Uh, this this book establishes the tone really quickly for what this book is going to be, uh, and what it is is less. Dirty Dozen and more Mission Impossible. Uh, this initial series wasn't really about, oh, you know, these these terrible comic book villains are going to go through and they're going to, you know, do all the dastardly deeds that the Justice League can't be seen doing. With this, it was more like, okay, look, the United States government is up to shady stuff. I know, shocking. And they want, you know, the people who are going to be able to accomplish this shady deal as efficiently and sometimes as bloody as possible. And what this comic does is it takes Amanda Waller, this absolute unit of a character, and you see her exert her will over these tertiary villains. You know, the probably the biggest name in this at this point might have been Deadshot. Um... Or it might have been Bronze Tiger, actually, to be honest. And the rest of these characters, Captain Boomerang, Enchantress, uh, as well as characters who would join up with the team later, like uh, Plastique, Nightshade, those kind of characters, um, they were really... Nothing was nothing was being done with them. Nothing was being, you know, accomplished with these characters. And so you get to see these characters go on these really harrowing missions for the United States government, whether it's, you know going after an enemy of the United States, doing a kidnapping, or doing a rescue mission. Like, these are much more, like, militarized, you know, it, it, it feels almost very uh, Metal Gear Solid, in a way, which, now that I'm thinking about it, a Metal Gear Solid-style Suicide Squad game would slap. 
it would be incredible, and I am sad that we are getting Suicide Squad kill the Justice League instead. It, it, it kind of hurts me. But I really dig this roster lineup because Rick, Rick Flagg is still trying to get his bearings as a team leader. Bronze Tiger is not really a villain. Um, He's a guy who got mixed up with the wrong, you know, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, Deadshot and Captain Boomerang. This is where that rivalry starts between the two of them, where they just go balls to the wall and hate each other all the time, and I love it so much. Um, and this really, again, does set the tone for everything that follows it, and for me, this is where you get the Suicide Squad at its purest form. Yes, these are terrible people who have done terrible things, but they are doing things they're doing the so here they're doing the wrong things for the right reasons here and i love the dichotomy of the squad versus amanda waller it's set up very quickly that she is not just their handler but she is the primary antagonist of the <laughs> of the series without it becoming you know more overtly like uh Amanda Waller versus the Suicide Squad, like it's kind of become in recent stories. This is very much like a, God, everybody hates their boss, and their boss kind of sucks, so let's just run with that idea, just with boomerangs and uh, magic-y, magic-y stuff. So it's a really good story. It really, like I said, establishes the Suicide Squad as a comic, as an idea, and as a concept. And what's cool about this initial eight run is that even though the 80s were pretty much dominated by comic book events and I put those in quotation marks um, this run really does kind of stand on its own for the most part especially these first eight issues and it sets the tone for what the Suicide Squad could be and with John Ostrander as kind of the uh, the progenitor of this idea it is the Suicide Squad at its purest finest form which i really really dig and something that and it gives a flavor to the team and to the concept that i think has been kind of lost which is unfortunate um and that leads into our next book which is suicide squad from the ashes way way back in 2007 uh this comprises of the miniseries suicide squad raise the flag one through eight written by john ostrander once again with art by javier pina and this was Ostrander's return to the book after completing his 66-issue initial run of The Suicide Squad. He went away and he did other stuff, didn't touch The Suicide Squad again until 2007 when he was brought back to give us a brand new incarnation of The Squad. And let me run down this, this roster, okay? So we've got Bronze Tiger, Deadshot, Nightshade, Count Vertigo, Chemo, The Thinker, Multiplex, Plastique, Rick Flag, and our boy Captain Boomerang Jr. That's right, Owen Mercer is the Captain Boomerang at this point in juncture because this is during the um, post- Infinite Crisis world, post-identity crisis world, where uh, Digger Harkness, my poor sweet boy, was killed uh, in a brutal, brutal showdown with uh, Jack Drake, Tim Drake's father, and his son, who, as we came to find out, was in fact a speedster, became the very next Captain Boomerang. Uh, this story also revived Rick Flagg as a character, or Rick Flagg Jr., uh, at this point, and um, he had died previously after having essentially a mental breakdown and offing himself, and this is the glorious return of Rick Flagg. So alongside John Ostrander, he brings his, basically his lead character back with him, and we get to see this, we, we kind of get to see the revival of the concept of the Suicide Squad, because at this point, you know, we'd had multiple Suicide Squad teams since the Ostrander run concluded, but it was more like, oh, you know, it, it was more closer to the Suicide Squad that we know today, whether where it's all these you know terrible people doing terrible things and Amanda Waller is just like openly 
at war with all of them on multiple fronts. And this comic brings us back to why the squad was brought together. It brings us back to why the squad works as a team. And it kills a whole lot of people, both enemies as well as uh, members of the team. There are twists. There are betrayals. Uh, this comic is, in essence, a big political thriller as well. And it brings in one of my personal favorite dumb villains, General Wade Eiling, also known as The General, who is just uh, Red Hulk before Red Hulk. Uh, I really, really dig this story. I think, once again, it gets to why John Ostrander created the team. It gets to why he loves the team so much. And as a story, it's a solid eight-issue read. It was at a time when the best Suicide Squad story was not being uh, published as a Suicide Squad book. We'll get into that in just a second. Uh, but it revived the spirit of the original team, and not just by bringing back original members, but showing how the concept of this group that is more or less supposed to be controlled by the United States government is has been kind of warped over time and turned into something that the original run wasn't so i think it's a great read it's fun it's got like i said tons of twists and turns betrayals deaths backstabbing and a triumphant return of one rick flag jr and i think it was a fantastic swan song for john ostrander to kind of go out on as a suicide as the man who created the suicide squad uh, next up we have technically not a Suicide Squad book. Uh, this is Secret Six Villains United from 2005, and I know, I know it's not a Suicide Squad book, but it's on the Suicide Squad comics catch-up. Just give me a second. Listen to me for a second, okay? Uh, this comprises of Two different miniseries. The first is Villains United 1 through 6, as well as Villains United Infinite Crisis Special number 1, and also Secret 6 number 1 through 6. This was written by Gail Simone with art by Dale Eaglesham and Brad Walker. Dale Eaglesham uh, was the artist for Villains United. Brad Walker was the artist for Secret 6. And this is not the Suicide Squad. I will put it forward right now but it is the purest suicide squad book in all but name uh let me run down this this roster real quick check this out so we have deadshot that sounds familiar right but we also have cheshire ragdoll parademon scandal savage and my boy Catman. That's right, the Catman is in. The Catman will do what the Catman do. And I love this comic. I unabashedly love this comic. And even though it's not technically a Suicide Squad book, this is the purest suicide this is the purest non-suicide squad story to have the spirit of the Suicide Squad as a concept. Now the whole deal with this is that these uh, these villains, this group of villains here, are initially in this in the Villains United six issue miniseries. The whole deal with this is that at this time the uh, lead up to Infinite Crisis was going, everything was kind of coming to a head, and under the nose of these warring heroes who were basically doing battle with each other on a regular basis, the villains were being united under the umbrella of Lex Luthor for this secret society. Uh, it's been called Secret Society, Society of Supervillains, The Society, all of this stuff. And there were invitations sent out to literally every villain to be part of this, except for one, very important. Uh, but this group turned down the invitation. And so this whole story is about this group of villains who turned down the offer to join the society being hunted by that society. So all of these villains are on the run separately. They come together, they present themselves as a united front, and they go to war while being on the run. And 
This is an underdog rogue's tale. You know, they replicated this with the um, Forever Evil Rogue's Revolution miniseries, which is the best part about Forever Evil for me. Um, But basically, like, they took this group of villains who were constantly, I mean, it's Catman, come on, uh, who were never, like, big leaguers with maybe the exception of Deadshot, though, I mean, it, it can be debated, and threw them against the greatest threat to the DC universe in the society at the time and said, okay, now you got to survive going up against this legion of supervillains. And it's a great story of these characters on the run, battling uh, threats from all sides and coming together and uniting as the as the title would suggest against this greater threat and then the secret six miniseries brings them together once again and establishes them as this mercenary for hire story uh in the uh, infinite crisis special the team decides to stick together and in the secret six miniseries or the initial miniseries before it became an ongoing uh with gail simone continuing her run gail simone's a wonderful uh wonderful writer she got it she got the idea she got what ostrander was kind of laying down with that original concept and once again just like with uh the suicide squad in its initial uh conception with Ostrander, she took the team name of a team that was never really a big leaguer for DC, dusted it off, gave it a whole brand new concept, and ran with it. And it was so good. Some of the best villain storytelling that you will find in either DC or Marvel. You know, this goes right up there with some of the best Thunderbolts runs, and I would put this against any kind of DC villain-centric story. Uh, This also has, you know, the benefit, at least for the first half of the volume, uh, the original Villains United miniseries of being around my personal favorite crisis, which is the Infinite Crisis. Uh, Everybody's first crisis is probably going to be their favorite crisis, just like everybody's first doctor is usually their first doctor uh, from Doctor Who. But I absolutely love everything surrounding Infinite Crisis. I love that crossover. And this being part of that run-up is just, oh, it is sublime. And I would absolutely recommend it if you're looking for this story. And I think it, if, if you're looking for a story that is similar to the spirit of the Suicide Squad uh, film that you're about to see with these characters who many people may not know, uh, Polka Dot Man, the Thinker, among others, Ratcatcher, you know, I I think this will be right up your alley if you're looking for an underdog story of villains who aspire to be more. So I think it's definitely worth the pickup. And then at number four, we have Suicide Squad Bad Blood from 2019. You knew it was going to be on here at some point. Uh, it's comprises of 11 issues suicide squad number one through 11 written by tom taylor art by bruno redondo the nightwing team the injustice team is on this book and it is ridiculous good ridiculously good this is the best modern suicide squad run period bar none you can fight me you'll lose it's just how it is and check out this roster and see how many names you don't know if you haven't read this book see how many names you don't recognize here okay so we have Deadshot, Harley Quinn, Zebra Man, Osita, The Airy, Chaos Kitten, Deadly Six, Finn, Jog, Thylacine, Wink, and, of course, Captain Boomerang, though he's not a big part of the book, but it's Captain Boomerang all the same. It's the Suicide Squad. It is this group of characters you don't know or aren't very familiar with. So what this book does and what the... Um, what the creators of this book do with Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo, what they do is get you to care about characters, whether you know them or you don't. That is their whole mission statement. That is what they did with Injustice. That is what they did with Nightwing. That is what they did with Deceased. And that is what they're doing with the Suicide Squad. So what this book does is it returns to the core of the Suicide Squad. It is the promise of the premise, where you take all of these characters, some are big names, some are lesser names, and you let 
the audience know immediately, hey, any of these people can die at any point. The Suicide Squad is what Game of Thrones was for TV. It is this stunning book where anything can happen, anybody can die at any moment, so you gotta stay on your heels. And this book returned us to that, uh, to that mode of thinking. You know, the initial run that I talked about with Ostrander, Rick Flagg is set up very early as like kind of your main POV, your main hero character. And Ostrander, the balls on Ostrander to say, okay, cool, he's our main character. I'm going to kill him at a certain point in this story. And you are not going to be prepared for it. What this book does is it sticks with that premise. People die immediately in this book. People die in the middle of this book. People die near the end of this book. All of these different things go into making this book feel unique and original and not like this tired, played-out Suicide Squad that it had been since probably the New 52, if I'm being honest. Um, We haven't had a great Suicide Squad book since honestly you know the secret six and that book ended before the new 52 so following this and getting years of suicide squad stories where it was just like oh my god it's these it's essentially either a second stringers who you don't care about and who the book doesn't do a good job on making you care about or b the cast of the latest incarnation whether it's in the film or animated like it doesn't It doesn't feel like the creative team, and full disclosure, I don't know the minds of the creators that were on the books during this period, but it didn't feel like DC or the creators cared about the characters as much as they cared about the Suicide Squad as a title and as a concept and as like a money-making, you know, property. What Taylor and Redondo do with this book is they say, okay, we're going to throw all of that out the window. We're going to throw all of the uh, conceptions you might have about this team, about the stories featuring the Suicide Squad, and we are going to give you a lean, mean story about a group of misfits and thieves, and we're going to make you care about them before we rip their wings off one by one like a fly. And you squirm, it's uncomfortable, but it's also heartfelt, it's emotional, and it really gets you invested in not just the heavy hitters, not just the Harley Quinns and the dead shots, but in characters like Wink, the Aerie, you get to get into the minds of these characters and you get to really feel what they're feeling, you get to see where they're coming from, I mean... When the story starts off, half of the cast in this book is an enemy squad. And so you get to see them come together and you get to see them mesh and you get to see them bicker and fight. And all of these things that the original book did, all these things that the original Ostrander run did, where it took these characters who don't know each other, they've never heard of each other before, and they're being forced to team up together under duress. And that's what this book does. And honestly, it's... I could spend a long time talking about this. I could spend an entire podcast episode talking about this book, but I will direct you to some to a podcast that does it just as good, if not better, than I do. Uh, Comics Collective, good brother uh, Dallas, along with his sister Alexis, and a cavalcade of guests. And I think they also just added uh, Anne from Anne Likes Comics on Twitter to their uh, hosting roster as well. They did an episode on this. So I would absolutely recommend going and checking them out. They're wonderful. Uh, Dallas has been on here. I've been on their podcast. They're awesome. If you want to learn more about this book with uh, spoilers aban- spoilers with abandon, check that book. Check out that podcast. Check out that episode. It's great. But overall, this story really, like I said, does get to the heart of the characters. It gets to the heart of the concept, and it makes you care every single time someone is offed in this series, which... I haven't really felt in Suicide Squad comics in a very long time. So hats off to them, and I think it is a wonderful piece of comic book storytelling. And it's it's Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo. What do you want from me? But that brings us to the last book on this uh, comics catch-up, which is 
the current run, the current Infinite Frontier Suicide Squad run from 2021. This comprises of Suicide Squad number one up until right now, this second when you're listening to this, because as you're listening to this, chances are you might be reading issue number six. More on that in our next segment, but this is written by Robbie Thompson with art by Eduardo Ponsica and Dexter Soy. It's going on right now. This is the current book that's going on. Check out this roster. Peacemaker, Superboy, Culebra, Nocturna, Talon, Branch, and Bloodsport. Now, yes, two of those members are from the latest film, and it is very clear and apparent that if the uh, if the movie did not include these characters, these characters would not be in this book. However, however, I know that sounds hypocritical from the whole rant I went on just now about other New 52 Suicide Squad, but... This book gives you everything that you want from a Suicide Squad book. It is, it sets up a new status quo immediately, and that does come off the heels of Infinite Frontier, the whole A-Day event, which if you don't know what it is, I'm not going to spoil it for you, um, but it is a very interesting um, status quo shift for not just the wider DC universe, especially Gotham City, but also for the Suicide Squad as a concept. Uh, Bringing in someone like Superboy, I think, is inspired, even though there's all kinds of weird things going on with that, and I don't know if it's the real Superboy. Um, I think he's a prime suspect for someone who isn't who what he seems but i i do think that this is continuing on how strong the suicide squad book has been this is the next run after the bad blood run and even though the uh the tone has definitely shifted from that more found family style that the that the bad blood book was this one much more going with, you know, this is the business. This is the business side. We are a group of rogues that do not like each other. Peacemakers are new Rick Flag. The Rick Flag is still putzing about somewhere. And we've got the reluctant Superboy here. We've got all this kind of intrigue. Mysteries abound. Waller is seemingly having some multiversal ambitions as well. Um, It's just a very good book so far. I've been really enjoying it. Um... Again, I'll talk more about it later when we get to the comics countdown, but I do think that genuinely this is a book to look out for. This is a book that I've had a ton of fun reading so far, uh, bringing in characters like Talon and Nocturna and characters that people may not be super familiar with unless you're a super, super deep cut DC fan. Um is inspired and it feels like this isn't just a cash in you know they didn't just go with all right what's the roster in the new suicide squad movie okay that's just going to be the roster they actually took the time to yes take a couple characters from that uh from that film and put them in here but there's no harley quinn in sight um there's no you know big polka dot man or like all of the you know king shark isn't in this either it's taking two characters in peacemaker and Bloodsport. And saying, yes, these are the two we're going to put in here. Otherwise, there are all these characters that we're going to get you invested in, including Superboy, who is there under duress. And we are going to make you care about these characters. Also, it offs a bunch of people in the first issue. I think that's great. I think it really, again, gets to the heart and core of the Suicide Squad, this idea that no one is safe. Anyone can die at any time. And you just have to deal with that. So it's a great, great comic. I definitely think you should be picking it up. And that is going to do it for the comics catch up. Um, I hope you enjoyed this. This is uh, the Suicide Squad is a super interesting team. It is it's fascinating to kind of watch the trajectory of the team, how the concept changes throughout the history of the um of the team throughout comic book history throughout publication history how much the spirit of that comic has changed and kind of watching it grow and evolve into what it is today uh is fascinating though i think no matter what book you read uh if you've watched the film if you if you've watched the newest film by the time you've listened to this or if you haven't yet uh all of these books are worth your time all of these characters are worth diving into and really getting invested in but what each of these books do 
prove and what each of these books do hammer home is that the Suicide Squad lives and dies by its characters. It lives and dies by the stories of these misfits trying to do better for themselves, do better for the world, and you feel free to laugh with them, feel free to be impressed by them, feel free to be disgusted by them, feel free to follow these characters into the depths of hell and watch them climb their way out. Just make sure you don't get too attached. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, on Comixology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we've got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geeks Plane Pick of the Week of last week. And for me, it was pretty pretty easy. I thought it was going to be a different book, but oh man, oh man, Beta Ray Bill number five, written and illustrated by Daniel Warren Johnson. My God, what a comic. I absolutely love this book with my whole heart, and I just... Oh, man, what a great issue. Uh, From start to finish, from cover to cover, we had drama, we had sadness, we had heart, we had tons and tons of wrestling moves, which you know I absolutely loved, and it's just a, the the series as a whole, the five-issue miniseries, is just such a love letter to not just Beta Ray Bill, but to people who have never felt uh, comfortable under their own skin, and I love this book so much. I will be covering this book on the podcast, just you wait, I might might be sooner rather than later. So um, absolutely loved it. Go pick it up. Go pick up all five issues. But that's last week. We've got to take a look back at this week. And this week we've got third. Wait. One, two, three, four. We have eight books. We're back in single digits. Oh, my God. Look at that. Only eight books for you to check out this week. I'm sure there's more, but these are the ones I want you to check out. Uh, man, this is weird, right? I think I went from like 16 books last week to like eight here. This is wild. Uh, so let's go ahead and just dive into them, starting things off with Crime Syndicate number six. This is written by Andy Schmidt and Brian Hitch with art. No, sorry. This is written by Andy Schmidt with art by Kieran McKeown and Brian Hitch. And this is it for Crime Syndicate. This is number six of six. This is um, finishing up the story. And I will say, I think it's been a good ride. Um, I, you know, it's, it's, it's been fine. <laughs> um, it feels like this is a good book if you are unfamiliar with the crime syndicate, but if you are not unfamiliar with the book, it's nothing you haven't seen before. Um, and I know that sounds harsh, but like the, the book is good. I think it's good for a story. I think it's good as a limited series. I don't think if it wasn't ongoing, I could recommend it. But as a limited series, I think it's it does its job, introducing us to these characters, getting us invested in them, and also telling us that they're all kind of despicable in one way or another. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Look. Up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's a uh, Ultra Girl. That's right, folks. Kara Zorel of Earth Three arrives, and it's far from a happy family reunion. Can Ultraman take his cousin down and reclaim his place as the last true survivor of Krypton? Meanwhile, on a hidden island in the Pacific, Emerald Knight must finally decide, will he stand with the Legion of Justice, or will he give in to the Crime Syndicate? Don't miss out on the shocking finale that shakes Earth 3 to its core. So yeah, uh, this is, I'm assuming, going to give us a new status quo for the team, especially because it's uh, showing up in another book, which brings us right over to Suicide Squad number six, written by Robbie Thompson with art by uh, Eduardo Ponsica and Dexter Soy. Uh, this is continuing on the uh, 
Earth 3 arc for Suicide Squad, where Bloodsport is venturing into another world to possibly do some recruiting. Uh, this book has been great. I've been really enjoying Suicide Squad. Um, the dynamics between all the characters, I talked about this earlier uh, in this episode, but I really dig the characters. I really dig the relationships that are building and the hostilities between everybody. And I'm interested to see where Earth 3 is in regards to the status quo uh, changes that come with the uh, crime syndicate book, whether that's going to be connected or not. So we'll just have to see. But uh, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Earth 3, Part 2. Bloodsport's first mission with the squad goes pear-shaped as the crime syndicate captures Amanda Waller's agent on Earth 3. By sending in a team to bring Bloodsport home, Waller may also be able to extract another Suicide Squad member for her new team, if she plays her cards right and doesn't care who else she loses in the process. As part of the team heads into the multiverse, Peacemaker gets a new assignment to track down and eliminate Levi Kamei, the new Swamp Thing. So we're not only getting a uh, Crime Syndicate crossover, we're also getting a Swamp Thing crossover. This book so far has been very... What what I've found really interesting in this book is how... Um, how part of a wider universe it feels, how interconnected it feels, because we had that whole arc with the Teen Titans Academy, now we're getting stuff with Crime Syndicate, here we're getting stuff with the Swamp Thing, uh, very, very cool, and I, I'm interested to see what they do here. Next up, we have American Vampire, 1976, number 10, written by Scott Snyder, with art by Raphael Albuquerque, and this is it. I think this is it. I think this is it. I think this is it. <laughs> um... I think this was supposed to come out, or at least like Solicits had it coming out like a few weeks before, so this might be the second time I'm doing this. I don't remember. Uh, time is a flat circle. But um, I'm interested to see how they wrap this whole thing up. It has been a fun ride for this with revelations, reunions, and all sorts of things with this book. But I am very interested to see how they conclude this. And if this is legitimately the conclusion of the American Vampire story, or whether it's just the conclusion of this specific run on the book. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. July 4th, 1976. Exactly 51 years ago to the day, Skinner Sweet pulled Pearl Jones from certain death and committed her to eternal life as an American vampire. Now, on America's bicentennial, after a half century of fighting for and against one another, the two foils are united in a common cause, locked in an earth-shaken showdown against the beast for the fate of humankind. Parting words and lasting actions untangle the tense history between the surviving members of the VMS, and Skinner Sweet will either reclaim his coveted immortality or sacrifice his life in the final battle to secure a better future for his companions. So it definitely sounds final, but we'll just have to see. I'm very interested to see how, these, how they wrap this whole thing up. Next up, we have Batman, number 111. This is written by James Tynion IV with art by Ricardo Lopez Ortiz and George Jimenez. Um, this book's been good. This book's been real good so far. I really dig the story they're building with Miracle Molly. Um, it's it's been really fun, and plus this whole march towards Fear State I think has been really good. The Scarecrow is pulling strings, so there's a whole lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of plates spinning, and I've been really enjoying it. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Fear State Prelude slash Ghost Maker Chapter 5. Mayor Nakano announces a crackdown on masked vigilantes just as the magistrate moves against the Insanity Collective. Batman attempts to avert a bloodbath while the Scarecrow makes his final move. Fear State is about to begin. Plus, Ghost Maker faces his most gruesome adversary yet, the horrific razor line. So I don't think I've made it any, you know, 
secret that I'm not really following the the Ghost Maker stuff. It's just it's not. I don't know. The thing about this with the uh, with a lot of the DC books with the backups so far is I haven't been super invested in the backups. I'm glad they're doing them. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad that they're doing them. I really think that this is the way to go. Having these backups alongside the main big seller books. But I just don't think any of them have been super compelling so far. Uh, there are exceptions, but I don't think many of them exist among this whole grouping. And I hope that they take from this that we want to learn more about these characters. We want get story to get more stories with different characters. But overall, the the Batman the main Batman story is what you're going to come to the dance for. So it's been fantastic. I've been really enjoying it. Next up, we have Firepower number fourteen. This is written. By by Robert Kirkman with art by Chris Somney. Um, this, ah, man, this book is good. I really, really dig Firepower. You know how much I dig Firepower. And I've been absolutely loving it so far. I cannot wait to pick up this next issue. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Owen thought that he and his family could return to their normal lives. But the serpent's omen is called that for a reason. Short, sweet, to the point. You get it. It's just... Oh, man. Uh, I thought that... I didn't know where they were going to go after the... uh after the fire war uh, between them and the uh, the Flaming Fist, but I really, really dig how they're seeding through the Serpent's Omen, like giving us little teases out for what they've got in store for us. Um, I can't wait. I'm gonna I'm gonna be very interested to see what they do with this next. So next up we have Green Lantern number five. This is written by Jeffrey Thorne with art by Tom Rainey, Andy McDonald, and Marco Santucci. Um, uh, this book has been really fun. I've been really enjoying it. I love this cover, man. I love this cover. Joe Mullane against the entire Sinestro Corps. Yes, please give it to me. Um, I love that this book has really put Joe front and center. I was worried at the conclusion of Far Sector that we weren't going to get more stories with her. And luckily, Jeffrey Thorne has been bringing her in and just making her the standout that she deserves to be. I'm also actually very interested in the John Stewart story, him being stranded, having to kind of cobble things together for low-rent Green Lantern tech. Um, it's been a good story so far, and I'm really, really interested to see where they go next. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. As Far Sector's Joe Moline begins to investigate the suspects most likely responsible for the destruction of the Green Lantern Corps, she winds up face-to-face -face with one of its greatest enemies, Sinestro. Was this the former Green Lantern's plan all along? Did he destroy the Green Lantern's central power battery so his Sinestro Corps could take over the empty sectors of space? While Joe searches for answers, Jon Stewart attempts to fight his way out of the uncharted and unregulated dark sectors of space, with no ring to help protect or guide him. Searching for the other missing lanterns, Jon realizes they may not all make it home. Ominous ominous. Um, I've been really digging this. I love this new direction for the Green Lantern Corps. I think it's really kind of turning the Joe section into a essentially a murder mystery for the Green Lantern power battery and having John's be, you know, him trying to, you know, search the galaxy for his comrades and it being kind of a rescue mission. I really dig this and I think this is exactly what the Green Lantern book should be right now. Next up, we have X-Men number two. This is written by Jerry Duggan with art by uh, Pepe Larraz. And I really enjoyed that first issue, man. I thought it was super, super good. Um, give, gives you exactly what you need to get what this new X-Men team is going to be going forward while also layering in certain mysteries and all the stuff that you would expect for a Jonathan Hickman era X-Men book. But given that Duggan flair that he has, he has the flair for the dramatic and it is absolutely on display here and I've been really, really enjoying it. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Always bet on X. As threats hurtled toward the Earth from all sides, the fearless X-Men fight a seemingly unstoppable wave of annihilation. But even more dangerous threats lurk in the darkness, ready to strike in secret. So yeah, uh, lots of intrigue, lots of bombast coming 
in the uh, pages ahead and in the stories ahead. Uh, we had a kaiju battle in the first issue. Like, what what more could you ask for? The X-Men are back to being premier superheroes, and I cannot wait to see how that status quo shakes up the Marvel Universe. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up, is The Good Asian Number 4. This is written by Pornsock Pachetshot with art by Alexandra Tefenki and Lee Lofridge. I hope I said that correctly. If I did not, I apologize. Um, I've been loving this book. I've been genuinely loving this book. It is hitting all the right notes for me. And if you are a fan of crime thrillers, if you're a fan of detective noir, this is the book for you. Um, I've really loved the intrigue. I've loved all of the different uh, storylines running within it. I just... I just love this book. I really, really dig this book, and I think it is absolutely worth everyone's time. Uh, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Hawk suffers a devastating blow as Chinatown's Hui Long killer hits close at a home, leading Hawk to begin peeling back the layers of his family's chilling secrets. So not only are you getting a story of fish out of water, not only are you getting a story about discrimination and privilege not only are you getting a period drama not only are you getting a detective story but now you're getting a serial killer mystery i just it it's so good it's so good i don't know what else i have to say it's one of the best books that are on the shelves right now and you are doing yourself a disservice if you're not reading it i am i have made it my mission this year to really dive into more uh independent books whether that's image uh whether that's uh, Dark Horse, all of these other uh, books that absolutely deserve attention just as much as the big two. And The Good Asian is that prime example of books that everyone should know about. So I absolutely recommend it. It is my big book of the week. And if you are not reading it, go pick up the previous three issues. Go pick up this fourth issue. You will not be disappointed, I promise. But that does it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we have Crime Syndicate number six, Suicide Squad number number six, American Vampire 1976, number 10, Batman number 111, Firepower number 14, Green Lantern number five, X-Men number two, and The Good Asian number four. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, subscriptions, they really do help me out, really helps the podcast out in this weird algorithm space and gets us, kind of raises our stock in the podcasting world and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And and if you give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here live on the podcast. You can join the likes of our terrific 10, that including Seafire ND, Joshua Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, and our newest reviewer. A lock and A Z, who dropped a five star review for us. Thank you very much. And this one's this one's pretty special, so I'm going to go ahead and read it here. Uh, this uh, this review is titled "One of My Favorite Podcasts," and it reads, "Okay, full disclosure, I'm his dad." Thanks, Dad. I was one of the influences that got him started on this comic book journey, which led here. I knew him before he became this incredible omnibus of comic book info, and it has been amazing watching his progression from mild-mannered comic book nerd to full-fledged, card-carrying, walking encyclopedia that can geek-explain anything in the vast multiverses of entertainment. Proud of your achievement, looking forward to what's next, and just enjoying the ride. Great job, kiddo. Thank you, Dad, or a luck in a Z. Um, appreciate the review. Thank you so much. Love ya. Um, and now our terrific 10 is an almost dirty dozen. So, uh, Again, if you want to give us a five-star rating review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, I really do appreciate it. We're almost to 20 ratings. We're just two ratings away, and I'm very excited about it. Can't wait to get to that point. So thank you very much to all of these fine folks for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. If you want to be part of our Geeksplain mailbag, if you have a question for me, uh, you want to get a quick pitch, you want to get maybe some comic recommendations on something that I 
I haven't covered on the podcast yet, you can email me. Feel free to send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com and put mailbag in the subject header. I will read it here on the podcast and address it. I always love getting emails from you guys. It really does warm my heart, makes my entire week. And uh, if you want to be part of it, again, email geeksplain at gmail.com. And finally, if you want to be, uh, if you want to follow us, if you want to keep up to date with the podcast, participate in polls that decide future episodes, or if you just want to shoot the shit on the latest geeky news with me, you can feel free to follow us on the social medias, Instagram and Twitter at geeksplainpod. That's at geeksplained P O D. Um, there's lots of stuff going on right now, uh, both good stuff, both bad stuff, both happy stuff, both dramatic stuff. So if you want to keep up to date with me, you want to keep up to date with all the stuff, all my wacky opinions that don't make it onto the podcast proper, uh, feel free to follow us there. It's a fun ride, and we are just getting started. We're almost, what is this, three quarters of the way through the year, so we've got a lot in store, and I am excited to go where the wind takes us. But that is going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you very much for following all the way till the end of this. It's been a ton of fun talking about the Suicide Squad. I am really, really excited to see the movie this Friday when it drops on HBO Max and in theaters. Um, This is going to be a fun ride. I've been seeing a lot of good reviews for it. I've been uh, just bombarded with hot takes on how good of a film it is so i can't wait to see it for myself and if you see it and you want to tell me how much you liked it feel free to let me know whether it's on the socials whether it's through uh email if you have a favorite suicide squad story feel free to email that to me too i'll read it on the podcast it's fun i love having discussions like this with you guys and that pretty much does it (laughs) next week is my birthday i am still trying to decide whether um i am gonna take a week off for birthday festivities or if i'm just gonna like knock something out uh we will see we will see i will let you know and if you want to find out uh immediately or want to find out uh, as quickly as possible make sure you follow us on twitter that's my that's my cheap plug for that that i already did so um Hope you have a great rest of your week. Thank you so much for listening. Tune in maybe next week, same Geek Times Geek channel for a special birthday edition of the podcast. But for now, for Geek Explained, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.